Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Whatever your calling is, it is to be a servant of the church and not this church, not City Chapel, but the church of Jesus Christ, what God is doing in the earth to serve him. Um, And so you are called. You have a calling of God on your life and you need to understand that. You you need to understand that you were not born just just to get saved and sit. You were born, God created you on purpose, with a purpose, and that, that purpose is what we call a calling. It's something God calls out to you and places on your life. You say, well, I don't want to be called. Well, it's too late. He does the calling. He already, he already called you. You can answer the call uh, or not. Now, that's totally up to you. And, and, but I want, I want to urge you to answer the call of God on your life. The call of God is not boring. The call of God is not burdensome. The call of God is not bondage. Man, what, what other bees can I come up with? The call of God is a blessing. Come on, somebody. Oh, the call of God, it really, really is a blessing. I, I was 14 years old when God called me to preach. And I can take you to the place at Port here in Michigan in the YMCA where I knelt down and God spoke to me about preaching. He said, would you preach for me? Um, and that's the clearest call I've ever had in all my life, which is why I've been preaching since I was 14. Um, I haven't been pastoring since I was 14. And I don't know, there may come a point in time when I'm not pastoring anymore, but I, I know that God has called me to preach. I just know that. And what is really weird about that is if God would have called me to pastor, I would have jumped up and down and said, absolutely. Because pastoring, you walk alongside people. You counsel people, you you go to their kids' birthdays, you, uh, birthday parties, you know, you, you pray for people, you're there for, and it's all about connection, but, but preaching is different. Preaching, you have to stand up here and talk for a living. And that's a little difficult for an introverted 14-year-old Harry, because Harry at 14 was very introverted. And what I've noticed is that God will often create you in a certain way and call you in a different way. He'll, 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 he'll create you introverted and then call you to step out of your introverted self. Or he'll create you extroverted and then call you to, to sit down and, and go, go low, go, 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 go ghosting on, you know. Like, I mean, it's, it's weird. It's weird. What's the song say? I was born this way. That, that's lovely. But hopefully sometime between the time you came out of your mother's stomach and now you've matured a little bit. You know, if you stay the way you were born... That means you haven't answered the call of God in your life. God will call you, and then he will call you to step out of this comfort zone, because your calling and your comfort zone are two different areas. And he'll call you out of your comfort zone. Why? Because he wants you to rely on him and not on the way you were born, not on the way that you naturally are. God will, God will push you out of your comfort zone. That's what he did for me at 14. He called me to preach, and so I've been preaching. But that's not the only kind of call. There's, there's, there's all kinds of calls. I believe everyone in here has a call of God on their life to do something for the kingdom of God, to follow him that, that is just as significant as my call. My call is basically to help you find your call. <laughs> as a pastor, that's what I do. I help you find your call. I help you walk in your call. And, and, and then get you out into the, and then send you to Florida to fulfill, to keep going with your call. Because that's what, that's, that's, that's what I, that's what I love to do. And so even as I'm preaching, I'm here to open up the word of God so that you can hear the call of God on your life. Because it is through, faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. And so you need to know that, that you are called and you need to know that that call is so important. And even if you're ignoring it right now, God has, God's not ignoring you. It's wide open to you. It's still going forth. And he, he never takes it back. You can never make so many mistakes that he uncalls you. He's still calling you. He's still reaching out to you. And, and the call, I, I, I got a few C's for the call because we got call and I'm a preacher. So first of all, the call is creative. The call of God is creative, meaning that it, 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 it creates something inside of you when you receive it, actually. When, God, when you hear God calling you, it does something inside of you. Um, some people say that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Um, and that's definitely true in my life. I was not equipped to preach. And then God sort of helped me become equipped. But the truth is the calling is part of the equipment. The calling starts creating the equipment that you need. 
Uh, and the first thing that, that you need is for God to go in, into you and create what he's calling out of you. So the call is creative in what it does in you, but it's also creative in what it does in the world, what it does outside of you. God's calling you to be creative, and maybe you're not a creative person, and that's fine, but, but in your non-creativity, God will create something in your life. And what he wants to create is an image of Jesus. So, so I want to go back to this really weird, weird verse where Paul says, I am in my flesh. I'm filling up in my flesh what is still lacking, yeah, in regard to Christ's afflictions. Now, what's weird about this scripture, honestly, this would be weird in any passage. If, if you read a passage of scripture where somebody, some human, is claiming to add to Christ's afflictions, somebody says, yeah, something's lacking in Christ's afflictions, and I am adding that. Um, that would be weird. That would be a very odd statement, but it's an especially odd statement here at the end of Colossians chapter 1, because as many of you guys have been here every week, man, I've been preaching through Colossians 1, the, the, the chapter that scholars call the most elevated view of Christ in all of Scripture. And so we've been talking, man, about how Jesus is everything. Jesus is life. Jesus, everything revolves around him. All things were created in him. All things were created through him. All things were created for him. He's the firstborn of creation, the firstborn from the dead, so that in him everything could be held together. We've been preaching about how awesome Jesus is, and that's coming from Colossians. Paul is being led by the Holy Spirit to tell the church about how central Jesus is to everything. And last week... He even zeroed in on the body of Jesus, the physical body of Jesus, that he reckoned God was reconciling the world to himself through the physical body of Jesus. And, and, and it's almost like in a movie, like the camera is just on Jesus, all of chapter one. And now all of a sudden the camera pans over and next to Jesus is this guy named Paul. Now, Paul isn't inserting himself from his own will. He's being led by the Holy Spirit to, to make a connection between the body of Jesus and the body of Paul. So interesting. He said, you, you have Jesus' body, which was whipped, beaten, broken, and crucified, and resurrected for our salvation. And Paul says, and now I have my body. And my body is doing something that Jesus' body cannot do. Now, here's what I believe he's not saying, because this would contradict Paul and several other scriptures. He's not saying that Jesus' blood is not enough for salvation. He's not saying that the cross is not enough. He's not saying that Christ's afflictions are somehow lacking in their atoning work and in their power. He's not saying that Christ is missing, the cross is missing something, nor is he saying that he's adding something to the cross. Uh, because scripture says that we can't add anything to what has been done for us. So he's not saying that, but what he is saying is that his body is able to do something that Christ's body is not able to do. Because Christ was crucified at the, at, at the time of this letter, the letter to, to, to the church in Colossians, Christ had been crucified for 60 years. Meaning these people had never seen Jesus. They had never, they had heard about him. But they had never seen him. And so one thing that the call of God will do is it will create a visual for those around you of what real love looks like. Paul says, I'm filling up what's lacking. What's lacking is you never got to see him. Because Paul got to see him because he appeared to Paul. So Paul says, man, I got to see him. You all never got to see him. And so what you're missing out on is the visual of what Christ went through for you. And so Paul says, everything I'm suffering, it's to let you know what Jesus suffered for you. He says, I'm, I, am, I am making a visualization. You didn't get to see the cross. You didn't get to see the back of Jesus. You didn't get to see the crown of thorns. You didn't get to see love in action. You read about it. You heard about it. But for, but for some people, man, salvation will never come to Austin just by people reading about something and hearing about something. They're going to need a visual demonstration of the love of God. And so he put you in Austin. So he put you in Kyle. He put you in San Marcos. He put you where he put you because he wanted a representation of himself. And this is, this is how we say it at City Chapel, that we are here to reflect the wonder and beauty of Jesus. 
We are here to reflect that our role as, as, as humans on this earth is to represent Jesus, is to let people see him. Let people see him. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. And he was speaking about the cross. Well, how is he going to draw all men to himself right then and there? He didn't. There was one soldier that said, surely this man is the son of God. And ever since then, the way he's been drawing all men to himself is when we lift up Jesus by living like Jesus. That as we exemplify Jesus, we, we lift him up. People don't see him, they see us. And when they see us, they say, wow, there's something different about them. There's something different about, and they say, what's different? And we say, well, it's, it's Jesus. Because, because the call of God will create something inside of you, but it'll also create something outside of you. It'll create a representation of Jesus to those around you. And this is what he wants to do. The call is creative, but it's also costly. Paul is talking about a deep cost here. He says, I am suffering for you. I am suffering. It's costly. The call of God is costly, which is why many people ignore it. <laughs> which is why it's not always popular to talk about the, the cost of the call. In fact, a lot of preachers, we don't like to talk about it much. Maybe we don't want to scare people off, or maybe we don't want you to feel sorry for us. And so we're just like, no, the call is awesome. And it is awesome, but it's costly. It'll cost you everything. To follow the call of God in your life will cost you everything. Today's Sunday, um, two days ago, Friday, uh, a dear, a, a lady dear to my heart um, named Virginia Wright passed away. She went on to be with Jesus on, on Friday. She was, I believe, in her mid-70s. She's the wife of one of our overseers here, uh, Pastor Wright, uh, Pastor James Wright, a pastor that I grew up under from the time I was uh, a young teen, um, even until now. Um, and he's somebody, he's one of our overseers, and I, I would love to have him come preach uh, for you at some point. Um, but uh, he's, he's awesome, and he's been instrumental in every decision that we've made at City Chapel. And I check in with him, and he's an older guy. He's in his mid-70s. He's kind of old school, too. So we didn't call his wife Virginia. We called her Sister Virginia. Um, she's not actually my sister, just my sister in the Lord, you know. And so Sister Virginia went home to be with Jesus on Friday afternoon, and um, it just, it just was so, it was interesting because I just got done preaching on Sunday about how there ain't no grave going to hold this body down. And uh, we, and then on Thursday or Wednesday, whatever, we practiced that song and I just been, I just been worshiping to that. And then, and then for somebody that I know and love to so quickly just, just pass away and yet to know that her body is just sleeping, that it will rise that the seed of the Holy Spirit that was planted inside of her while she was living is still at work in her mortal body and it will raise her up again, that there ain't no grave, which technically means that there is a grave. So to be grammatically correct, there is no grave that will hold her body down. I guess in Texas, you don't have to mention that. In Michigan, you do have to, you know, you have to say that because double negatives mean that this is a positive, you know? Ain't nobody got time for that means somebody actually does have time for that. That's what, that's what that means. Okay. Good. Lord bless you, keep you, take you to third grade and figure it out. Come on, somebody. This is just, I mean, Madden knows this. But, but there is no grave that will hold... Sister Virginia's body down, and, it's, and uh, her favorite color was pink. She wore pink all the time, and I, I looked through my whole closet to wear something pink today, and I just, I don't own one pink thing anymore. It's not 1999. I just, I can't, I just don't have it, and so I don't know. Yeah, my Mario shirt was, that would not honor Sister Virginia. That would not, I, I, it's, it's got to be a suit and tie. She always dressed to the hilt, and she was such a sweet lady and such a, such a beautiful person, just a, just a, picture of the love of God in action. And um, I remember one time I was preaching at a youth camp 
um, they, uh, Sister Virginia and Pastor Wright, they planted the, their church, Maranatha Fellowship, um, like in the late 70s, and it grew to know, around 2,000 or 3,000. At one point, it was 3,000 people on a Sunday, um, and um, I got a chance to, to, to live with them for a little while. I wanted to be mentored by Pastor Wright. He actually taught me how to preach. Um, he's, he, I learned more from him. Uh, he, had me, he had me write sermons on uh, Mark chapter 5, and he said, just write three sermon outlines and these three stories, and um, so so I did that, and then he would tear them up and just be like, this is bad, that's bad, that doesn't make any sense, why are you saying that? And, and he really just helped me. So a lot of my preaching, I owe to him. Um, the way that he, he opens up scripture just fascinated me. And so um, anyway, so I, so I actually lived with them for a little while. I, I went to their church several times, um, I mean, like a bazillion times. Um, when I was in Bible college, I went every Sunday. It was a three-hour trip one way. So I talked a little bit about my parents making a three-hour trip last week, so this week. And then Peter and I and Mike, we would drive down seven hours one way to go to church um, there. So uh, this is this is why we're, we're just crazy enough to start a church in Austin. Um, because, you know, as, as our pastor, Pastor Wright, would say, church alive is worth the drive. And um, that, it rhymes, so it must be true. And so we would drive. And um, I I remember one time I was preaching at a youth camp, and uh, we were eating lunch with Sister Virginia and Pastor Wright, and I was telling um, Pastor Wright and that about somebody in our church had left the church, and I was a part of a small church up in Michigan, I mean like 30 people small, and a family had left, and so when a family leaves a church of 30 people, like you, you really feel it, you're like, Wow, where did where did they go? You know, and and I, and I was just sharing with Pastor Wright about that. Now, now of course, here at City Chapel, we're a little bit larger, so some of you guys might take a little time to to notice. It's like I haven't seen so and so in a, a month, and um, well, but but man, when it's thirty people and you go down to twenty four, you notice. And uh, so I was talking to them about that, and Pastor Wright's, oh son, son, uh, we've. We've had a lot of people leave our church over the years. They've been going like 30 years, at 25 years at that time. And he's like, we've had a lot of people leave our church. And, and he was, you know, kind of trying to give me some wisdom, which is good. But uh, Sister Virginia kind of kind of stepped in there, and she just sweetly, gently just, she's just adding to the conversation. She said, 416. And I was like, what? What? Like, you have a church of 3,000 people. And you're, you know the exact number? We had a church of 30 people. I didn't even know the exact number, you know? Like three families, I think, four maybe. I mean, and, 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 and by listening to her, and if you knew her, I wish you could have met her, but it, it wasn't because she was bitter at each one of those people. <laughs> because otherwise that would have shown up in her face and in her personality and in her Man, when, 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 when all you think about is yourself, as you get older, you get more and more judgmental and critical, and it just shows up. It shows up in your conversation. It shows up in this, can you believe? And I never heard any of that from her, ever. I believe it's because she was praying for all 416 people that had moved away to Florida or gone on and it's not all as beautiful this this, this this is the best way for people to leave you know just crying and uh, praying and you know uh, you know all, all, they, that's 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 awesome um they don't all leave like that not i'll guarantee you not all 416 of those people were walking away singing sister virginia's praises they weren't all talking about how wonderful she was and how anointed pastor wright was and it wasn't because we, we've, we've had a few people walk away, and even some of them have had some interesting things to say about me. <laughs> Come to church, I just go to the bathroom the whole time because I don't want to hear your preaching. Wow, okay, well, lovely, wonderful, you know, but now we only got one, so this is not going to work. You got to, can you just on the, this is just on the hallway maybe? Because come on, we got a backup line going on. But it's amazing what people will say, which some of which is very true. You know, obviously this person didn't like my preaching. That's, that's fine. That's fair enough. Um, sometimes I'm not that crazy about it, but, uh, but some, but man, but other stuff that people just make stuff up. Not, not you all, other people, just people and, you know, others that aren't here, and they're totally very different than you, totally opposite of you. Uh, but no, I mean, so, so you know, man, that when Sister Virginia sweetly remembered all of those names, there's something, there's, there, there's a sweetness that people get who are wounded but refuse to get bitter. 
There's a sweetness that comes from that that isn't available to those who've never been wounded or to those who have been wounded and have chosen to seek revenge, have chosen to stick up for their rights, have chosen to, to hope that they, that, they, that they get what's coming to them. It's interesting. It's amazing. And, 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 and as I was thinking about Sister Virginia, I, I, I think about the cost of that the cost of walking through everything she walked through. When they started the church, they started the church because they were um, Assembly of God ministers. They're just a young family, and they were in this, the denomination, Assembly of God, and um, they, they got connected to this guy named Lauren Helm, who was, um, who was kind of, uh, he was focusing a little more on holiness, I think, and focusing a little more on these waiting on God services where like a thousand people would just come and just sit. And do nothing. Well, they just waited on God to see what God wanted to say. And somebody might stand up and preach. And somebody might lead a song. And it was just waiting on God. And he was just like, and so the, so the, so the guys in the denomination said to Pastor Wright, they said, look, you know, we don't want you hanging out with this guy. And Pastor Wright said, man, I really feel called to this, to this minister and to be around him. And so the board of this little church, they had like 100 people. And the board uh, voted him out, decided we don't want you guys to be our pastors anymore. And so Pastor Wright told me about him and said, Sister Virginia just hugging and crying on the steps of their church after, after a Sunday night service where the board said, we don't want you to be our pastor anymore because they didn't know where, what job they could have. They didn't know how they're going to support their three little, little kids, and they didn't know what about the call of God in their life and what's next. And so, um, so that next Sunday, they had a little Bible prayer meeting in their home, which is what you did in the 70s, and a bunch of people came together, and they started uh, meeting in a warehouse, actually. So when we were looking at this warehouse, Pastor Wright said, son, a lot of good stuff comes out of warehouse. We had some good times in that warehouse. I'll tell you what. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't even have what little AC we have. So, you know, be thankful. We got a little, we got a little, we're, we're going to a little step up from, but man, they had the Holy Spirit. They had the presence of God. They had people that were hungry for him and they're willing to wait on God. They're willing to follow God more than just a denomination. Um, there's nothing wrong with denominations, but man, whenever, whenever, that's the thing. The call of God will cost you stuff that there's nothing wrong with. It'll cost you relationships that there's nothing wrong with. It'll cost you benefits. It'll cost you uh, a more lucrative title and position on your job. It'll, 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 it'll cost you opportunities. I look back on my life and to be here in Austin, I've had to turn down several other opportunities. It'll cost you. You look back and you think, man, I could be there if I would have done that, but I wouldn't have been obedient to God. And, and the reason why I'm, I'm talking about Sister Virginia is because, man, if, if, if they hadn't been obedient to God, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Pastor Wright and Sister Virginia. I'm telling you, I wouldn't. I, 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 the call is costly, but it's also crucial. Because you don't know, you don't know who's hanging on the balance of your obedience. You don't know who's on the other side of what God's asking you to do. So many times we see our obedience as only affecting us. It's like, well, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm resisting the call, but uh, I'll go get on, I'll, I'll get on it when I'm ready. Man, but who is who is missing out? You can, you, it's true, you can respond at any given time. My grandpa responded to the call of God on his deathbed 15 minutes before he died. You can do that. But who missed out? Who was waiting on the other side of my grandpa's obedience? Who's, who's waiting on the other side of yours? It's, it's not, here's a mind-blowing revelation. It's not just about you. <laughs> <laughs> Shocker. It's not just about, like, it's not just, like, and literally, seriously, God is concerned with the entire world. Scripture says he's not willing that any should perish, and yet people do. Why? Because of our disobedience. Because we don't respond to the call that God has over our lives. Because we put it off for bigger and better things. Because we're too busy making money. We're too busy having fun, or we're too busy pursuing this, or we're too busy getting educated, or we're too, we're too busy, too caught up in, in, in our cocoon. 
And yet, Paul, this is what's crazy to me. Paul said, I rejoice in my suffering for you. The call is crucial because you don't know who's on the other side of that obedience. I'm in Michigan. Pastor Wright and Sister Virginia are in West Virginia. I'm not even born when they started the church. Like, we're not talking about right in here and now. You don't even know who's coming after you. And yet they start this church and they, they follow God and they keep, they stay sweet. So that by the time I get into the scene, I get to see somebody who can be wounded and respond with gentleness, who can be wounded and respond with love. And I get to see Jesus. The world is not short of preachers, short of Jesus's. Austin is not short of churches, it's short of Jesus's. We're not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not lacking for websites. We're lacking for visual representations of Jesus. And it's crucial. It's so crucial that, that we respond to the call of God in our life. There's a meme, and I know I, 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 I kind of like to make fun of memes, and I'm so, so I'm going to try not to make fun of a meme because, honestly, I see the, see the truthfulness in it. Um, uh, I asked Cassie to, to, to pull it up. Um, uh, this, is, this is a meme that you might see on Facebook or social media at times. Um, Jesus, well, I will make fun of a little bit. I mean, he's white. <laughs> Come on, man. Middle Eastern man. He's not... He looks kind of like me. <laughs> oh. So... Okay, fine. I'll make fun a little bit. But, um, but no, the, the, the concept is that Jesus is saying, trust me, right? He's asking her, maybe you can't see with the pulpit, but he's asking her for, for, for her teddy bear. And, um, and he's asking her to trust him. And she says, but God, I love it. Like, I don't want to give up my, my little teddy bear. But what she doesn't know is that Jesus has behind his back, because he's, he's kind of big, he can fit, you know, a big, bigger teddy bear behind his back. Um, uh, the truth to the meme is that, indeed, oftentimes, God leads us through times of suffering, and on the other side of that suffering, he has a blessing for us far greater than the suffering that we endured. That's the truth to the meme. And we do, we have to trust him in the process. Absolutely. Um, the slightly deceptive thing about the meme is that the, the, the blessing he has on the other side of the suffering is usually not the same type of thing that we gave up. Meaning, meaning you may, God may call you to tithe, which is giving up a little teddy bear of 10% of your income, and then you expect, okay, so since I tithe, now God's going to give me a big income, and I'm going to get that promotion, I'm going to get that bigger job, and I'm going to get more money, a bigger version of the little thing that I gave up. But this isn't always the way that it works. He does often have a blessing for us on the other side of our difficulty and our suffering, but it's not always in the same size and the same material. It's not made from the same stuff, not always, that we gave up. Sometimes it is. And sometimes God does bless us with new cars and stuff like that. I mean, I just got a new car, so I can't preach against big teddy bears because God's given me some really awesome things. And I believe God wants to bless his kids. So that's why I'm not going to make fun of it. But I do think it's a, it's a one-sided view of suffering. It's one truth. It's one angle. And unfortunately, this is the only angle that I ever hear anybody talk about. And this is why Paul's words are so weird to us when he says, I fill up in my body what is lacking of the afflictions of Christ for you. He's not saying, look, God's got this great reward for me on the other end. He's saying, what I am doing, I am doing for somebody else. What I am suffering, I am suffering for somebody else. And it's this, this, this version of suffering is, is, is one version, but it's, it's an isolated thing. It's Jesus and you. And like I said, it's not all about you. And so, so suffering is literally not all about you. And so I asked, uh, I, I borrowed one of my kids' little bears here. And so just to give this demonstration, if, uh, if, if, if Roe has the bear and Jesus got something behind his back and he says, he says, you know, trust me, give me the bear. Uh, and it's, this is the thing, because if, if that were always the case, 
if that were always the case, then humans, we are really good at, at manipulation. We love to try to learn the rules of the game to get God to do what we want him to do. So if that were always the case, as soon as he walked up and said, hey, would you give me a little thing? You would be like, absolutely, I'll, I'll hand it to you. But sometimes, sometimes he's just got his hand behind his back. He's not holding on to anything. And he asked for something costly, and you give it, and then hum de dum de dum and you're like, wait a minute. I thought, I thought, where's my big teddy bear? I, I thought, I thought, I, I thought I was going to get a major blessing. I was going to a big breakthrough. I thought, and, and he just leaves us, or, or, or maybe it's just me. Am I the only one that ever gave up anything for God and didn't get something really big? Okay, cool. So two of us. This is the good thing about real preaching is it, is it, is it's kind of like where you live. It's kind of like where you're at because this is what happens. If any of you ever sacrifice for God, try it. When you do, it's not always this instant boom blessing back in your lap. Sometimes you are, because he's not asking you to give up something so that he can give you something bigger. He's asking you many times, according to Paul, to give up something so that he can give something to somebody else who you don't even know. There's somebody on the other side of your sacrifice. This is why Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for you. Paul never even went to Colossians. He never met the church in Colossians. He's in jail for preaching the gospel, and he remembers five years ago he led this guy to the Lord named Epaphras, and Epaphras now has come to his cell and said, man, remember when you led me to the Lord? And he's like, yeah, I do. Like five years ago, I was preaching. You came forward. We talked about Jesus. Yeah, he said, I went home, and I started telling people about Jesus, and we started a church in my house, and now we have this little church that's growing in their love for Jesus. And Paul says, aha, that's why I'm suffering. That's why I'm going through what I'm going through. Not because God's got some big golden thing for me at the end of this rainbow, but because there are people that are being blessed by my obedience. There are people that are reaping the rewards of my suffering, that I am suffering, and it's blessing somebody else. And that's a version of suffering we don't often talk about. And by the way, I don't, I don't want you to think that God just wants to steal all your stuff. <laughs> He's not into wealth redistribution. It's about to go somewhere with that, but he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that because even, okay, so this is actually a pretty good example. Sometimes when we give him what's really valuable to us, he hands us some Kleenexes. And I feel sorry for some people because they've never got to experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They've never given up anything that cost them so much that then Jesus had to say, okay, now I want you to let, now I want to let you know that even though you lost that, you still got me. They don't, they've never experienced that kind of intimacy because they've been holding on to their little teddy bear. And literally Jesus said, blessed are they who mourn for they shall be comforted. And we try to hedge our bets so that we rarely, if ever, actually mourn. And in America, we actually have enough money to do that most of the time. We don't give anything up. And we don't feel the embrace of Jesus. We don't feel the, the Kleenex box. We don't feel him sit with us in our suffering. We don't know him like that. And so there is great reward. There is instant reward, actually. It's just not necessarily a bigger teddy bear because what he's doing is he's taking what we have and he's blessing somebody else with it because he knows who needs it. He knows who's on the other side of that, who's relying on that. So this weird scripture, Paul says, I fill up in my flesh what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Number one, what's lacking is a visual representation. Number two, what's lacking, is the carrying of that sacrifice. Um, to, to help you understand this, uh, Paul wrote Colossians, and in your Bible, if you have a, just a physical Bible, you, if you turn the page, you'll be in Philippians. You turn to the left, you'll be in another letter that Paul wrote. Paul wrote Philippians as well as a letter to a church in Philippi. 
And uh, if you read, once again, this is another short letter. It's about four chapters long. Won't take you long. But when you get to the end of Philippians, Paul is thanking the church in Philippi for an offering that they've given. Um, apparently, it was an offering given out of sacrifice. These people, these people didn't have much, but they gave what they had. Uh, the church in Philippi, the pastor got up, I guess, and said, guys, I feel like Paul's struggling. He's in prison and he needs some money. He needs some money for food. He needs some money for writing materials. He needs some money. And so we're going to take up an offering. And he, a bunch of people that didn't have a lot of money said, we're all going to give something to this because we love Paul, because we value him. And we're going to sacrificially, kind of like we did with Keep Kids Fed, you know, just guys, none of us have a lot, but if we all give a little, we'll be able to feed kids in our, in our city. And we, and we have. And so the pastor got up and shared that and people brought their offerings. And see, back in those days, you didn't have text to give. You didn't have online giving. Money wasn't directly deposited to, you know, Paul's account. Yeah, you don't Venmo it. This isn't how that works. So they collect all the, this is 2,000 years ago, they used something called cash. Just, just FYI. You, you probably haven't heard of it, but it's this little, little paper and little coins. And so they, 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 they brought their cash and they dropped it all into a, a sack. And they said, okay, now who's going to take it to Paul? Because we're in Philippi. Someone's got to take it. Well, according to Paul, a man named Epaphras stood up. I'll do it. I got it. Great. Okay. It's a bit of a journey from Philippi to Rome. You sure you got this, Epaphras? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. No GPS. He's going. Epaphras takes the sack. And Epaphras makes the journey. And, and in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is writing about Epaphras. He spends a whole paragraph writing about what, went, what Epaphras had to go through just to bring the money to Paul. And according to Paul, he nearly died. He got sick and he nearly died. In verse 29, he says, I'm sending Epaphras. Uh, it's not Epaphras, it's Epaphroditus, my bad. Epaphras is the guy in, in, in the church in Colossians, Epaphroditus his brother. Um, no, just kidding. That's totally not biblical. Um, but you can see how I get it confused. I'm just looking for sympathy. Um, anyway, Epaphroditus is going back to the church in Philippi. And Paul says, I want you to receive him. Verse 29, we don't have it on the screen, but he says, I want you to receive him in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Which is why I honor Sister Virginia and Pastor Wright because of their sacrifice to bring the gospel to me. He says, receive him and hold him in esteem. Verse 30, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his own life in order to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Now notice he's not criticizing them. He's just saying, man, you guys took up a great offering. You guys really wanted to bless me and you gave sacrificially to do it, but it would not have blessed me if nobody took it to me. What was lacking was the distance between Philippi and Rome. That's what's lacking. And so now he's using that same terminology in another letter to the book of Colossians. And he says, let me tell you something. Else. Let me give you another story. There was a head of the great church of himself <laughs> named God. And he stood up in all of heaven and he said he said I want to save humanity and so he took up an offering with himself and he responded to his own offering <laughs> by bankrupting heaven he gave all that he had his only begotten son the most valuable thing in all of history and all of heaven and all of creation and all of anything and his only son came to earth and gave all that he had he gave his life and so god has collected this incredible offering of his love and his sacrifice and his and his and his offer of salvation and it's all in a sack and paul said then i heard the holy spirit say who will take it to kalash because it's here, it's collected, the payment's been made, the money's been given, it's all, the, the blood has been shed, the resurrection has happened, the good news is available to them, the kingdom is open, now who's going to carry it? And by the way, it's going to be costly. 
Epaphras almost died. It's going to be costly. Now, the reward is great. The, the joy is great. Even in the suffering, the joy of knowing that you're suffering. Because everybody's going to suffer, by the way. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a Buddhist or what you are. Everybody's going to suffer. The question is, do you know the purpose of your suffering? Does it is, it, is it accomplishing something? Is it doing something? Is it blessing somebody? Is it making a difference? Or are you just another product of a world that's just out of control? Jesus said, Jesus said, in this world, you're gonna have tribulation, but don't be afraid because I've overcome the world. And he overcomes the, he wants you to know that he's already overcome the thing which is, which is bringing suffering to you. Meaning that all suffering has already gone through his checkpoint. He's already approved of every bit of suffering that's coming to you. And he won't allow it to come to you if it doesn't have a purpose to either bless you or bless somebody else. Paul says, man, this is joyful. He says, I'm, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. So it's, I'm not saying that God just wants everybody to have an awful life. And No, he, he wants to bless you in this. There's great joy in pastoring people. You get the front row of what God's doing in their life. You get to see change happen. Not just, you don't just talk about it, preach about it. You get to walk with it and see it and hear it. There's great suffering too because people are suffering and people are disobedient. <laughs> people are knuckleheads and, and, and people, there's suffering there too. But there's great joy. And if you don't know what it's like to live with joy and suffering in the same day, you need to get out more. Now, literally, you don't know enough people. You are wrapped in a cocoon of pleasure, maybe, or pain. You're hung up on yourself. Timothy Keller said that Jesus was a man of sorrows because he was perfect. And when you're perfect, you are aware of the suffering around you. When you're self-absorbed, you're not. So many of us are either high or low because we only think about ourselves and based on how we feel on any given day, we are that. But Jesus was aware of the suffering that was going around him. He was also aware of the glory that was ahead of him. So he was both joyful and sorrowful in the same day. And so when, when Paul says, he says, man, I'm suffering for you. This is not, this isn't, Jesus hasn't stolen my teddy bear. Jesus is giving me this amazing gift of seeing the results, the reward of my suffering. I'm not just going through stuff. I'm blessing people. I'm helping people. I'm growing people. I'm making a difference. Just, just so you can get a better picture of Paul, I, I want to finish by reading this passage in 2 Corinthians. When I say that Paul filled up in his flesh what was lacking, I think, I think he's got some reason to say that in 2 Corinthians. We don't have it on the screen. But I just want to, I just want to read to you the description of this man. Chapter 11, verse uh, 23. He says, I'm talking like a madman because he's going to start telling you about some of the costs. And he didn't talk about that very much because it's boasting. And so he says, let me talk about this as a crazy person for a minute. He said, look, I've had a lot of, he said, far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings. Countless beatings. That's incredible. He ran out of fingers and toes to be able to keep track of how many times he was beaten for doing what's right. Some of you are like, yeah, countless beatings, but no, like for doing what's right, he was beaten. All he had to do was not obey God and he would be fine. For doing what's right, he had countless beatings. Verse 24, so interesting. It says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 40 lashes minus one means 39. And if anybody has ever seen the Passion of the Christ, you guys seen the Passion, um, you, you kind of get a visual of what this looks like. Um, they, they strap Jesus to the whipping post and they have a cat of nine tails. That's a, a whip with nine different uh, leather ends to it, usually bone and bits of like a glass and um, sharp rocks are attached to the end of it. And you, you do 39 stripes in a cross pattern um, uh, going down from your lateral 
uh, muscles cross this way and then cross that way. And the goal is to strip your back of all of its flesh, but also to tear the tendons um, in your shoulders. This is especially important before crucifixion because this means that you can't pull yourself up very well or it's at least incredibly painful to do so. Uh, at the end of it, your back would look like ground beef. Uh, just mishmashed, no, no skin on it at all. And they did it 39 times because they found that 40 times killed a person. You start cutting into serious arteries at that point, and spinal columns, things like that. 39 times. Now, Paul wasn't about to be crucified, but he was tied to the post and he was stripped his back like ground beef. And then they don't, they didn't have bandages. They didn't have antiseptic. You just, they just throw you on the dirt. It takes months to heal. Scar tissue is all heals wrong. It's all bent out of shape. It's, not, it's twisted. It's tendons would heal wrong, out of alignment. They had no slings to put your shoulders in. You're just on the floor of a cell, all infected, the pus swelling up. What would that do to the muscles in your back? What would it do to your neck and your spine and your lower back? What, or how often his legs would get numb for no reason though. And that's just once. He said, this happened five times. Your back starts to heal a little bit. And then it happens again. And again. And again. And again. Five times. No wonder he said, I am filling up in my flesh. You look at my back, you, it looks kind of like Jesus's back. When I walk by you, you get a glimpse. He, he, I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, uh, a novel about the life of Paul where uh, the chapter is called The Back. And it starts with him being woken up in the morning, a young girl like putting oil on his back just so he can get out of bed have the kind of pain relief to be able to sit up five times he he suffered that particular thing and then he says three times I was beaten with rods I don't know if you've seen any um, pictures of what that makes your body look like once he said I was stoned the stoning is where you tie the victim and everyone chucks large rocks about the size of baseballs until finally you know somebody gets a headshot or something and the person drops and then they can get closer and just pelt the, the goal is death so they don't leave till your teeth are gone you're bleeding out of your ears and nose and, and you're not moving that's when they leave Paul said once I was stoned they thought he was dead three times he says I was shipwrecked a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. It's interesting. We, we're so sheltered. We're, we're afraid of the possibility of danger. We can't sleep because we're too busy thinking about danger that's not even real. This guy is living constant danger of his life. Paul, how did, how did you get through that? He says, I was in toil, I was in hardship through many sleepless nights. That may be an understatement. I was hungry and thirsty, often without food, in cold and exposure. And in verse 28, he says, apart from all that, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul, wait, wait, aren't you worried about where your next meal is coming from? Aren't you worried about how you, like, like your job? Aren't you anxious? No, I'm anxious for the churches, for these people that God's called me to. And that's the thing, your calling will always be to a person or to people. And these are the things that are just filling his mind. Verse 29, he says, who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to fall and I'm not indignant? So Paul knows what he means by saying that he's filling up. He, he filled the gap. 
which is why I'm thankful for Paul. He took, see, if what happens on Jesus's cross stays on Jesus's cross, it won't be effective for me. Somebody has to pick up their own cross and take what happened in Jesus' cross to me. This is what Sister Virginia, Pastor Wright, and others have done for me. And now the baton is passing to us. Sister Virginia is in the great cloud of witnesses, which is that sideline. She's, she's done it, she's run her race. She forgave as much as she could forgive. She loved as much as she could love. And she was as faithful as she could be. She says, now, Harry, you got it. City Chapel, you got it. So would you just bow your heads and close your eyes to me for just a minute? I want to give you an opportunity to respond to that call. Maybe it's a call of salvation that God's tugging on your heart. You're hearing about this great love of God that not only Jesus would sacrifice for, but Paul would sacrifice for. Pastor Wright would sacrifice for. Many have sacrificed down through history. And really, the question is, will you receive that? Will you receive that for you? Will you put your faith in that? And if you do, please know that Jesus is not offering to suffer on your behalf so that you don't have to. He's offering to suffer so that as you suffer, he'll give you a new purpose for your suffering. That's the club you're stepping into. And he also give you joy in the middle of it. If you'd like to receive him today, put your faith in him, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, God's calling me. God's calling me to, to, to do that, that's awesome. That's awesome. Go ahead and keep your hands up. Maybe you might be here today and you say, God's calling me to offer my, ted, my little teddy bear to him. <laughs> You've already received the gift of salvation, but God's calling you to more. Would you raise your hand and say, that's me. God's calling me to more. He's calling me to lay down my time. I don't know. Lay down my money. Lay down my job. I don't know what he's getting out of my comfort zone. He's calling me to more. Yeah. So, Lord, we make ourselves available. We just, we're available to you. <laughs> Take what you can, whatever you can use, <laughs> whatever you can give to somebody else, whatever you can help somebody else with, God. I don't know if you can use it, <laughs> but it's here. It's available to you, God. Everything that I hold dear, everything I hold most precious in life, my kids, my wife, my, my home, my family, my vehicles, my clothes, my talents, my gifts, whatever they may be, I make them available to you. My bank account, my time, nothing more valuable than that. I make that available to you to waste it, to waste all of it, to pour it all out, to pour it all out on people who may or may not receive it like Jesus did. Pour it all on people who may or may not, but just so that they know that the price has been paid for them, just so that they know that all of heaven desperately wants to see them saved and walking in their calling. We'll lay down our lives. We'll, we'll do whatever you ask us to do. We, 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 we say yes before you even ask for it. We trust you to have our best interest at heart and to fill us with joy in this journey to make it worthwhile at the end of it. And even all the way through, you're a good father who loves blessing his kids. Thank you for that. We thank you for your blood that was shed on the cross, Lord. We put our faith in the finished work of Jesus. Nothing else is needed except faith. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So we call on Jesus today. We ask, Lord, for you to transfer those ones who raise their hands, transfer them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Do a work inside of their hearts, transforming work in Jesus' name.